up close with Carlos Sang, celebrating art, entertainment and the human spirit. Uh, welcome to another episode of Up Close with Carlos Sang. My next guest can currently be seen on the hit Channel 4 drama, The Undeclared War. He has also amassed a huge TikTok following with over 28,000 followers and has also been making a huge impression on the musical theatre scene. Uh, it is an absolute joy to be able to introduce Alfie Friedman to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me, Carlos. Yeah, so I thought we'd start off by talking about the undeclared war um what has it been like getting to re-watch your scenes back and seeing the huge reaction it's been getting as well it's been really overwhelming actually but in a really wonderful way uh, and, and i think a lot of that stems from the fact that we shot this thing uh, during the, the the first lockdown during when the pandemic first started um we shot a lot of it in wales and we had to use a lot of uh, really cool tricks to to get around the uh uh, the social distancing situation. So getting to actually wait a year and then see the reception that follows is is really brilliant. Um, and, and it's weird because you, when it comes to these political thrillers, uh, you really can't, especially when it's predictive programming, you, you can't tell how people are going to react to the subject matter. And, and it's really nice that this starts a conversation no matter what the reviews are. Uh, and, and I'm also happy to say that the reviews are good <laughs> for the most part. That, that's always just a relief when you've made something. And considering it's my first, uh, not, not just a lead role, but like role on television full stop, it's just wonderful to see that the product is, is great. And it's, and it's wonderful to see people re- reacting to it and empathising with it. And also yeah. being angry. Yeah, I mean, in the, ca- in the show, um, your character has been described as somewhat of an outsider. You know, he's not immediately likeable, shall we say. Um, what was it like, <laughs> um, you know, getting to connect with this character? And how was it challenging at all, um, trying to find a way to portray him? I think when you're dealing with a neurodiverse character of any kind, I, I, I feel like there's always going to be a thought in the back of your head of, uh, am I doing something offensive? Am I uh, uh, betraying uh, people with uh, these diagnoses or conditions in the right light? Uh, but but I, I did ultimately realise that, uh, you know, as far as the job's concerned, it's like any other character. And uh, I'm not an aspergic actor, I'm an actor. Uh, and every role that you play while truthful, it's a creation that you help bring to life. What I did find brilliant, though, when reading the script and I even remember praising Peter for this, uh, our director, Peter Kuzminski, uh, when he asked how I felt about the character, was that whilst G- Gabriel's quite eccentric <laughs> and uh, an introverted person in, in many of his scenes, he's not strictly limited to that mindset. And you get glimpses of a, a very passionate and brilliant soul longing for friendship and appraisal like anyone else. And um, I, I think Peter masterfully showed that everyone on the spectrum is totally individual, even if placed in a similar camp, and that these types of characters don't have to be stuck in a box, if you will. And not to mention that it's never blatantly said. You, you can just see and make your own mind up about him as a person. And I'm not anyone's representative, but there's hope to be found in Gabriel, and he's practical and he's cool. Uh, and I think it's a step in the right direction for characters of that kind. So to, so to properly answer your question, the way I feel about it is when you have those incredible emotions and that content to work off of, you know, hope, a practicality, soul. It's, um, it presents itself. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned um, Peter Kaminsky, you know, he's such a well-regarded writer and director in the industry. Um, what was it like getting to work with him and take his direction as well? Peter Kaminsky made it a breezy blast because he, he's a director who understands storytelling like no other, and, and honest storytelling. 
And most importantly, he understands people. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who would show up like every morning in either a trailer or a makeup van and kindly tell us in advance how the day was going to go ahead and what he was looking for from the scene. You know, when usually you just have to turn up and uh, give it your all and just hope you're doing the right thing. He, he'd let you know. I obviously haven't worked with too many people yet because uh, I'm only 19, 20 next week, actually. But if it works, it works. And I think it goes without saying that Peter is a director with heart who knows how to just get it done. And with that being said, honestly, everyone on set was ridiculously kind, so. Uh, yeah, amazing. Uh, I remember early in the year as well, I got to come and see you play Michael Spofford in The Witches of Eastwick in concert. And The Witches of Eastwick, it's kind of gotten this uh, sort of cult classic musical reputation. Um, I was wondering, you know, how familiar were you with the show's history and what was it like getting to play this character? Mm, yeah, I'm part of the cult now, aren't I? Uh, it's, um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, look, I mean, we can't ignore the fact, obviously, my mother, Maria Friedman, was in the original cast during its original West End debut. Um, I, I wasn't too familiar. I, I'd heard the songs Loose Ends and I'd heard um, Dance with the Devil because it's... Uh, Amazing song, right? <laughs> but um, I, I, I knew about the Jack Nicholson film, I'd seen that. The way I felt about it was it was a brilliant way of preaching equality without preaching. It's, it's a show that uh, I know a lot of people attribute it for its uh, feminist and female em- empowerment elements, but I, I, I see it as a show about cause and consequence. <laughs> and I, I, think it's, I think it's just fun. It's pure fun. And it's genuinely great. Like, the score's great. It's very weird because I'm not like, even though I, I definitely enjoy musical theatre, I love Sondheim and Weber and such, I, I wouldn't call myself a geek by any means, right? But when I got handed the script for this, I'm like, there's so much to work off of. And it's very beautiful. And because it never takes itself too seriously, the sentimental moments are really powerful. It's a very powerful piece of writing, I think. Yeah, I mean, you got to work with um, a whole host of stars from the West End, you know, from like Laura Pitt-Crawford mm. to Claire Moore to John Partridge. And of course, you got to be directed by your mother, Maria Friedman, as well. <laughs> um, um, what was that experience like, you know, preparing to put on this very special concert? Yeah, look, it was all... And when I say last minute, I don't mean badly produced. We had amazing producers. Um, you know, Jack Maple was a, a phenomenal company leader in that sense. Um, this was something which was initially just going to be a concert, but the second uh, mum was attached to it, uh, she said, all right, look, uh, we're going to do the full show. We're going to give you a taster of this is what this show um, could be and should be and what you guys deserve after 20 years. And, you know, I think I had the, the benefit of knowing in advance as a, um, a biological counterpart <laughs> uh, that this is what was going to happen. But I think it's a very scary feat when you're an actor who has uh, been established for so long, such as John Partridge or um, Laura Pitt-Polford or Caroline Fletcher. It, it's a massive undertaking uh, to put on a show with effectively zero prep time. And it somehow happened because everyone liked each other. Uh, similar to Peter Kosminski, my mother is someone who she, she will only work with good folk. Uh, and everyone was on their game, on it. They came in, they gave it their all. Um, and a lot of it was a case of improvi- improvisation in the moment. Um, uh, you know, you can't expect any sensible actor to learn all that material uh, in, you know, in, in, in five days and do all the things they want. So uh, it really required a room of people who were willing to offer and take without question. And everyone was so open, so kind. And I just loved everyone there. It was, it was a really brilliant process, a really wonderful experience also 
and, and, and also it's changed the game a little bit, I think, for how these kinds of shows are done. It's, it's shown that actually, with the right mindset, you can get this done. And, and the reception, I mean, you were there, right? It was mm. crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah, really wonderful. Um, how would you compare the experience, you know, working on stage compared to working on screen? Right. Um, it, it, it's interesting because you do tend to have this idea and this mindset that when you're on stage, you can do whatever you want. Well, if you go on stage with that mentality, you're going to ruin the other people's performances. You have to be incredibly economic. Um, and when it comes to screen, obviously, it's uh, no matter what you do, you do have to match the vision of the director. And obviously you can feed them things and you can give them ideas, uh, but ultimately there is a, a quota to be met. There's a criteria to be met. Uh, there, are, there are bullet points they're checking and uh, your characters are a much bigger piece of the puzzle in, in terms of presenting this story and it can be edited or changed at any moment, you know? Uh, but on, on, on stage, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a greater undertaking. There's a bigger responsibility in terms of just not messing up <laughs> in the moment. Um, but, but it's a lot more fun. I, I think there's no greater graph than theatre. Like even, even though my, um, my place uh, currently is with, with TV and film, when I have been on stage, it's, it's just the most wonderful sort of like cosmic space to be in. You know what I mean? I think, it, I think they are, they're very different art forms, but they're also one and the same in terms of you're bringing things to life, you're making things. Yeah, um, the first time I saw you, of course, was at the Many Chocolate Factory concert where I was really impressed by your Franklin Shepherd Inc. Uh, how did you go about deciding what songs you wanted to perform at that concert? Um, I think that was always a given. Uh, my mentor was um, an indie, uh, you know, a not very well-known indie artist called Stephen Sondheim. And uh, he, <laughs> and he, um, I remember my first introduction to any of his music was Merrily We Roll Along, which... Uh, mother once again directed um and i remember just being taken aback by that song because i was someone who growing up i wasn't too good with the small talk but the long talk definitely <laughs> uh and still am apparently I, I just loved seeing a man yammering and i and what i understood immediately was that you know what love songs can be painful um and love songs and painful songs can be funny i thought it was the ultimate piece of writing Franklin Shepard Inc. about betrayal and longing for friendship and feeling like you've been attacked yet it's no one's fault and you just have nothing that you can do but explode and you forget the world exists because that friendship is your world um, and, and and that relationship between Frank and and Charlie it's um, it, it's just something where whether I've seen it in the West End or or um, Boston or soon to be Broadway I've never not seen people break down no matter what, what walk of life they come from at the end. So it was, a, it was an obvious choice. He just passed away. I was, I was definitely grieving. I wanted to bring to life my version of the song that really got me into this uh, field of work. Yeah, I mean, the Many Chocolate Factory as well is such an intimate and gorgeous space as well. I mean, how was it, you know, performing in such close proximity with your audience in that intimate space? It's like you said, it's very intimate. Um, and and it's, it's kind of great because there, there is like often this rule that when you're on stage, you, you can't really acknowledge the audience as, as though, you know, they're, they're within that world unless you're breaking the fourth wall. But what's great about this is that even though it was staged, it was a cabaret ultimately. And we really got to kind of use the audience as a, as a tool in the entertainment. 
and, and, and let them be a part of making the show. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you were there when we were, to, uh, to, uh, as an example, we, we told everyone to uh, mention uh, uh, Sondheim shows that, uh, that we had been in as a, as a collective company and uh, people would always try to catch us out. And it was hilarious because you'd get the most absurd answers sometimes and sometimes really inappropriate <laughs> answers too. Um, I won't go into how, but they happened. Um, so I think just being able to actually have that, I think that moment of reality, that moment of self-actualization where you go, this is why we do it. We, we do it for, for you guys and you guys come for us so we can keep doing this. It's a, it's a, a constant eternal back and forth. And I, I think that was great because obviously my TV show hadn't come out yet and I hadn't done Witches yet. So that was really, in terms of people seeing me, that was my first... Uh, time doing something professionally and and that happened to be uh, connecting directly with people right in front of me and and with that scene Franklin Shepard Inc where you'd uh, typically just have to pretend you're on a you know a TV in, uh, in, interview on stage and pretend as though the audience aren't there I was able to look at some of these people right in the eye and you'd see them just break and it was um it really makes it special it, it, it reminded me exactly why this is such a magical thing yeah, I mean, again, on this um, show, of course, you know, you got to work very closely with your mother. You know, it was Maria Friedman's legacy show celebrating Stephen Sondheim, Marvin Hamlish and Michelle Legrand. Yeah. Um, you know, was it an easy decision, you know, wanting to, you know, take part in this production or did you have any sort of second thoughts at all? Yeah, um, I think I think it was one of those things where I definitely had concerns because the problem is people look at the word nepotism and they see industry plant, they see you know, you don't deserve to be on this stage, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is this industry's always worked in a who do you know situation. And um, I, I genuinely believe if you feel like people can deliver stories, you've got to give them the leg up. So I, I think I had a very good upbringing from my mother's end. And I think she uh, didn't let me become too full of myself, but she also didn't let me put myself down just because I grew up in, a, in someone's shadow. I think she believed genuinely I could tell these stories. And, and it's something I want to carry with me till... The day I die too, I'll, um, I'll always give people the leg up if I think they should be the one to do this. You know what I mean? I think it was a great way to say goodbye to Steve. This is a story which I, I don't actually know if you'd want me sharing or not, but it's not ridiculously private, so I will anyway. He wanted me to write a musical adaptation of Stand By Me as a, just an, as an experiment, similar to how uh, Oscar Hammerstein had asked him to write something based on Mary Poppins, right? I never got around to completing that when he passed away, and I felt a block. Um, I, I, I felt as though I couldn't actually do the thing that I wanted to do, because I didn't get the chance to say goodbye. So I thought it was the best way to do that, whilst not lamenting. Um, I, I think I wanted to celebrate a brilliant man, and more importantly, a man who, had my mother not worked with him, I probably wouldn't be born, because she wouldn't have met the, uh, uh, the people that she met. Uh, my father included, the other brilliant people I've gotten to meet over the years. My existence is not indebted to him, but he's, he's one of the many factors that led to me being alive. <laughs> being alive, yes. It, it, to answer your question, it wasn't a hard decision. There were lots of thoughts, but it was pretty quick to say yes. Um, I, I, I didn't realise the Stand By Me story. Um, that's, um, that's really wonderful. Are you still um, planning on finishing it then? or? For myself, yeah, in my own time. I have some, you know, things which I have to keep under wraps, which I have to, to get through first. But I would, you know, uh, I, I'd love to get to it um, because I know some wonderful people 
who I'm, I'm planning on working on it, on it with. Uh, doesn't mean it'll ever see the light of day, but um, as a passion project, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to keep going. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, we just touch on the fact that your mother is Maria Friedman, who is one of the most respected leading ladies on the West End stage, uh, and now directors as well. Uh, but your aunt is also Sonia Friedman, who is one of the most renowned theatre producers in the world. Uh, was there ever an expectation on you that you would also join this industry? I think people saw it as inevitable because our family are so eccentric in the best way possible. But I, I think... Um, uh, and, and we're all quite alike in a very uh, cool way. Uh, but I, I think when it came to uh, my aunt and mother's input, they were people who, who fundamentally believed, uh, my, um, my late grandma included, that I should get my education done first and then make my own mind up about it. Because it's a tough industry. Not many people get to go into it and come out being like, I'm still in it. And that was definitely a question of mine, which is do I want to put it all on the line for something which might not actually amount to something better than what my family's done before or more successful than but actually you don't do this thing for success not at first maybe later on down the line but actually right now if you love what you do and that's what I love I love stories I I, I have a um uh, I, I have a compul uh, a compunction uh, to um to tell them uh, and especially for the people who might not feel like they can be heard because I think everyone's been in that spot so uh, for me it was never a hard question because I always did the, the school plays and I always went up for things when I could. But it was definitely, a, it was a bigger question of will I be accepted? Because one of the things that is unspoken but known is that when you, when you share someone's name, you're not given an easy time. Um, people might think that's not a good hot take, but as the kid in this situation, <laughs> um, it's true. You're not given the leg up. You do have to prove to everyone who you are. But luckily, I been surrounded by, especially during witches and undeclared war, just people who reminded me I could be liked for me and that I was my own person in my own right. So I think that's the, how I'd answer that question. They, they always knew I was going to be probably in this field, but they wanted to wait for me to find myself before I, I, I pushed myself into any kind of limelight. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I remember also listening to your TED talk um, from a few oh. years back, and one part which really moved me was when you talked about your relationship with your father. Um, mm. How was it when you got to perform for him? You know, during the Emmanuel Chocolate Factory concert. It was a really wonderful thing. Um, he'd he had seen me once in a in a school play. It was Les Mis. I played Marius, and he's a very proud man. I also feel the need to also uh, detour just a little bit because uh, when I did that TED talk, I was 16 years old. So it's like three, nearly four years ago now. And um, I definitely wasn't as good at public speaking and kind of connecting with myself as I am now. Uh, and one of the things I would have altered in the moment, I was obviously quite nervous at the time because um, I was in front of so many people and there were cameras everywhere. One of the things I would have mentioned is that my father's a great man, but he just came from a culture where he didn't agree with me being my own person in that particular way. You know, uh, the, the word Asperger's was almost offensive to him, but actually it's, it's what it is. I, I am me and that should be enough. And we agreed to disagree and he's just always stayed proud. He's always stayed proud no matter what. He's, he's turned up to these types of things. And, and when I got to see him there and, and perform from my heart to, to a man who ultimately loves me and I love him, that was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Because actually, 
how many times do you get to look at your parent, no matter who you are, like right in the eye, and uh, you, you share like a slice of yourself, and they just have to listen, and they just have to watch and feel. It's an odd thing, but actually, we saw each other in a different light because of performance. It's, um, I'd say it saved our relationship. Uh, oh wow, that's amazing. Yeah, you've also amassed um, a huge uh, TikTok following uh, and also mm. um, have developed uh, a reputation for having a personality on, you know, Instagram and Twitter as well. <laughs> you know, do you enjoy also, you know, being recognised for your online presence as well? I enjoy people feeling like there was hope during the pandemic. Because um, on TikTok, I was making a series called My Corona Lifestyle. Um, and effectively what the point of that series was to sum it up very quickly for people who haven't watched it they were uh, very quick like under 60 seconds very high octane fast cut uh, very sort of depending on your humor funny or incredibly painfully unfunny <laughs> videos uh, with lots of sound effects uh, where i just showed what you can do in your house and i made like maybe 60 episodes of them or something and the number of kids I'd see duetting those videos, trying to recreate them with the sounds, what you'd actually forget is that these kids would have to probably spend an hour or two running around, stuck in their houses, uh, picking up random objects, building forts, trying to like mimic what I did. And that was the point of it. The, the point was to, to show you that actually, uh, also, also completely acknowledging there are people with, um, who, who can't help but feel lost and confused during that time. And, and it's an incredibly, uh, d depressing time that no one wanted there's hope there's always hope and there's always fun to be had in, in some capacity so I so I think being recognized for that that actually you know what you can have fun no matter the circumstance is is good yeah I mean you've explored you know um, acting on stage acting on screen um, uh, social media um, are there any other ventures that you would like to explore as you enter your 20s no I think I'd like to keep on doing what I'm doing I think I'm going to uh, carry on the, on the trajectory and I think just keep on meeting hopefully incredibly wonderful people as I have done before, uh, telling brilliant stories and really enjoying being myself. I, I think that's the best part is you, you always get to be an extension of yourself no matter what character you play. You get to be truthful uh, to a certain extent. Um, you're always truthful uh, no matter how uh, fictitious the story might seem. And as long as I keep on getting to do that, tell good stories, beautiful stories with beautiful people, um, during a beautiful time, uh, I'll be happy. Mm. Um, where do you where do you see yourself in the next five years or so? I try not I try not to think like that. I, I know it sounds incredibly sort of introverted to say, but I I, I, I do believe you know here here and now, baby. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I, I think I think it's it's good to pre-plan some things and think about the future and procrastinate every now and then. But actually, you know what? You only live now. There is no future. There is no past. It, in terms of space-time, they're gone. <laughs> so so I think, uh, I think it's nice to live now. And if you don't have to worry, don't worry. Absolutely. Um, you've, um, I remember um, during the Chocolate Factory concert as well, you know, your mum also yeah. very kindly um, announced that, you know, you hadn't had any sort of formal training. You were just sort of instinctively talented in a way. Um, it, 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 almost, it almost sounded like an insult, didn't it? Like, <laughs> like, can you imagine after that performance? No drama school, forgive him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, did you ever consider, you know, um, pursuing you know, more formal training and going to drama school at any point? Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I went out to, to Juilliard and, and didn't get in. Uh, but I, <laughs> but I um, and, you know, applied for other drama schools too. There's a criteria to be met with, with every school you go up for. Um, I, I also implore to any student listening who, who feels like they're not enough because they got a no on the first try. Um, please tr keep trying. 
please keep trying because it's not that you're bad. It's really far from that. You, just for existing, are brilliant. Um, but the one thing I learned is that they, 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 they can't have the same person over and over again. And if you don't match what they're looking for, you might not get in. Um, I, I don't think school post-college is necessarily the option, but it's an option. And you know what? You're not right or wrong for saying yes or no. It's, it's whatever suits you best. There's a, in terms of purpose with actors, your purpose is your own path, really. Uh, you make your purpose um, and, uh, and, and, and you shout it out loud. And uh, I think I chose the shouting out loud option. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm happy with the work and learning through the work, but people might want to get an extra um, leg up and step ahead and, and, and meet some good people before they, they go into that world. And, and that is completely fair. There is nothing wrong, nothing right. Do what you want. Yeah. Did acting always feel like a viable career option for you? Um, I, I don't think it often feels viable for anyone. I feel like probably even the most successful actors probably worry about what are they going to do? Uh, is this the right thing? I mean, it, there's a lot of self-respect that comes into play. There's a lot of, is this the thing I want to do? But, but to be honest, right now, as I said, thinking about it now, I, I just love it. Uh, and, I, and I know it might not be the most intricate answer, but I really just love what I'm doing. And I think I've always loved what I'm doing. Uh, it's been a fascinating interview, Alfie, and we really enjoyed talking to you. Um, just as a last question, uh, what is yeah. the best part about being Alfie Friedman? <laughs> oh, everything. No, um, the, um, okay. That's a, that's, a, that's a brilliant question, by the way. I, I was not expecting that. Time to dig deep. Um, I think getting to look at every decision I've made, every step I've taken, where it's led me as a, a butterfly effect, whether that be a consequence or an achievement, and just going, I'm alive, and being happy that I'm alive. Every day. Alfie Friedman, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much.